Blue collar people are some of the grittiest, toughest, bravest human beings on the planet. Every building, bridge, and road was built on the backs of their hard work. Every piece of raw material was mined by their calloused hands. They manufacture our goods and transport them around the world. We see that strong outer shell, but there's more to every person than meets the eye. In this podcast, blue-collar business leaders tell their stories of courage and victory over crushing defeats. That's only possible because of a mental and emotional fortitude and a willingness to ask for help. It's our mission to bring hope to those of us who are strong on the outside, but may be living a life of quiet desperation on the inside. We'll do that by working together to tell the truth about the challenges we face and what it really takes to break through them. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Tragedy to Triumph podcast. I am your host, Mick Carbo, and I am here today with Nelson Tressler. How you doing, Nelson? Doing great, Mick. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped to have you. Uh, I have a little bit of an insight to, to the story that we're getting ready to jump into here, and it's uh, it's sure interesting. It's uh, it's a doozy, and I feel like it's there's some stuff in here that people are going to be able to relate to. So I really appreciate your willingness to get on the show and for your courage in sharing all this. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. So why don't you get us started and let us know just a little bit about you, whatever you'd like us to know uh, about yourself personally and professionally. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll start with my origin story and kind of why I'm sitting in front of you. Uh, you know, my mom, my mom became pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. And when she was pregnant with me, her father, who was the local trash collector in a small town in central Pennsylvania, drove into the town square spotted two police officers, uh, stuck a gun out the window and opened fire on those police officers, uh, killing one and wounding another. And eventually he was captured and brought to stand trial where he was facing the death penalty. And uh, during his trial, my mom uh, got on the stand and testified to the jury that the reason that her father had shot and killed that police officer was that the police officer had raped her and she was now pregnant with uh, his baby. And uh, my mom's testimony worked. Uh, the first uh, trial for my grandfather ended in a hung jury. Uh, he was later tried again, taking the death penalty off, uh, off the table. He was found guilty and uh, sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, where he ended up uh, spending the rest of his life more than 40 years behind bars leaving behind, you know, me, my mom, and my mom had 14 brothers and sisters to kind of deal with uh, the wake of what he had done in this small little town. Wow, man, that's, uh, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, uh, as you can imagine, everybody knows your business in a small town anyhow. So uh, throw on top of it that your grandfather shot and killed a police officer and and that you uh, are at the kind of the, the center of that trial and everything that you had to deal with, you know, growing up from there. And, you know, crazy enough for me, I mean, my life didn't get any easier. You know, I'm born to a 15 year old mother. Yeah. Eventually, she uh, meets a man who would eventually become my stepfather 
come to find out that he is an alcoholic and uh, very emotionally and abusive to me and my mom almost on a daily basis. And eventually they get married and have four other children. And because of the lifestyle that they're living, a lot of the basic needs of my siblings fall upon me as the oldest. And, you know, I'm feeding and diaper changing and waking up at two in the morning to put crying babies back to bed. And, you know, it just has a a huge effect on my life. Uh, Schooling, you know, my mom would rather me stay home from school and, and help her with the kids than go to school. And I remember, you know, in the fourth grade, looking down at my report card and realizing that, you know, I had flunked the fourth grade and I would be held back. And the following year I got placed into special ed, you know, I couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't spell. You come to find out I have dyslexia and uh, that's, that's kind of where, you know, life was throwing me, you know, at that time. Yeah, sure. Wow. So you, um, uh, what did, what did your grandmother do? So my grandmother, you know, she had 15 kids, you know, a, a lot yeah. of them were adults by the time my grandfather did what he did. And, okay. um, you know, uh, continue my story. And then it it takes me into my grandma. But uh, one day my, my stepfather was walking home drunk from a bar and there was somebody else driving home drunk from that bar and they ended up hitting and killing him. And uh, it was at this time that my mom, you know, she has five kids. She's dropped out of school in the eighth grade. She's never worked outside the home. And as hard as my mom's life has been to this point, and believe me, it it was brutal. it was at this time that she kind of lost all hope and uh, she decided that she wanted to take her own life. And fortunately uh, she was not successful, uh, but she was placed into a psychiatric hold. And when she did get out of that, she decided that she wasn't able to care for all five of us on her own. And that's when my family got split up and, and uh, I went to go live with my grandmother, you know, the, the, the wife of the man who shot and killed the police officer. And, you know, and, and she, like I said, she had 15 kids. So a few of those kids were still living at home. And, you know, because of the saint that my grandmother was, she was raising four or five other grandchildren for various reasons. So we're all in this small little house. But, you know, for the first time in my life, I don't have to worry about not having food to eat, you know, the lights being turned off, somebody coming home and beating me or my mom, or even having to take care of younger siblings. So I started to have a a stable life. And, and my Graham's one rule was she didn't care how well you did at school. She just cared that you went to school. And that was probably to save her, her, her mind from having so many kids around her all the time. Yeah. 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 Well, so how old were you at that point? I was about 10 or 11. 10 or 11, okay. And dude, this seems like an inordinate amount of crazy stuff to be happening in a young person's life. Did you have any conception of that when you're, you know, between I don't know, a baby and 10 years old or what was that no. like? No, you know what? I mean, I thought I thought that's the way life was and I thought yeah. that's the way dads acted and And I thought, you know, everyone was struggling with no food in the fridge and your lights got turned off every three or four months. And it was just the way that it was. And and then eventually, uh, you know, I got that sense of contrast. You know, I I got 
placed into the big brother, big sister program. Oh, nice. And, you know, I saw the way their family was and the way they were. And I started to realize that all families weren't the way that mine was. And eventually in middle school, I, I hung out with some friends and dated, you know, a girl and saw the way their families were. And, you, you get that sense of contrast at that point and you realize, hey, that this isn't the way everybody's life is. And what you also realize is it, it's not the way my life has to be. Yeah, sure. Sure. So what what was that moment like for you when you when you realized that this isn't the way that it is in everybody else's house? You know what? It wasn't like a big aha moment. It was just kind of like a drip as I started to be exposed to it and started to see what was out there and how things, you know, were, and then also kind of the product of, of living that different lifestyle and what that meant, you know, holding down a, a job and, and not, you know, not coming home and getting, you know, drunk every single night and taking it out on your family. And right. there were all those things that I was just exposed to after this. And then my gram, you know, she was just, uh, you know, just a saint. And, you know, almost every day of my life, she was telling me, Nelson, you're going to make something out of your life. And she told me that so many times and for so long that I started to believe it. And, you know, you have that one person that believes in you and they believe it too. And then you want to do everything that you can not to let them down. And I think that had a huge effect on, on my life and what I wanted to do with it. What was it like when you didn't believe her when she was saying those things to you? <sighs> you know what? It, life's, you know, again, I didn't really realize that life wasn't supposed to be the way that it was early on. Sure. So I think that was a blessing because I think it would have been, I think it would have been horrific to live that life in the opposite where you come from a normal home, uh, you know, quote unquote, normal home, and you go into a rough situation. So, for, you know, fortunately for me, if, if you can call it fortunate, you know, my stepfather stepped into my life really early, you know, before I could even remember without him. And so I had nothing to uh, compare it to. And, and maybe that was my saving grace and kept me sane was, I just thought that's the way things were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and and it seems like Graham was this really big, you know, saving grace in your life too. She was sort of a guiding light in a way, always pointing towards something positive. You know, hey, Nelson, you can you can have something better. You know, you're going to you're going to make something of your life and, you know, to your point, somebody says that enough times to you, you start to believe it. Well, and especially when it's somebody that you love and respect as much as I did my grandmother, you know, and, you know, and, and, and as big as she was in my life, she was that for her, all of her 15 children and all of her hundred plus grandchildren and eventually great grandchildren. She was, she was just that special kind of person and, you know, what she had gone through. I mean, she had gone through that, you know, what my grandfather had done and had to live in that small town and, and deal in those consequences and all the uncertainty and, 
just to be that strong of a person to, to be able to do that. And, you know, everybody tells me I had every excuse in the book to, you know, kind of go the opposite direction. And I look at my gram and she had every opportunity to kind of throw her hands up and, and not live the, you know, the, the life that she'd lived. And I think she kind of modeled that for me and for everybody else in our family. Yeah, it sounds like it. Do you remember growing up um, having any experience with what it was like for her living up in living in that small town? Oh, all of this stuff hanging over her head, you know, all the all the things that happened in the past. What was what was that like for you guys? It was hard on our family because, you know, you had that last name. And I talk a lot about this in my book, The Unlucky Sperm Club, you know, growing up there. You know, there were, uh, one of the stories, I mean, was, you know, that eighth grade dance where it's the first time you pick up your date to go to the dance. Right. And uh, I remember going and my cousin, John, who was 17 and my, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a car at that time. My gram didn't have a car. My mom didn't have a car. So my cousin drove me mm-hmm. and I never had met this girl's parents and did, barely knew her. And we got there and I walk in and I could tell they were kind of cold towards me and, uh, you know, just, it wasn't, didn't feel right. And, you know, eventually they asked me, well, who's taking you guys to the dance? And I'm like, oh, it's my cousin, you know, and he's a senior or whatever. And instant like chill in the room and they excuse themselves to go talk to my date. And I'm kind of left there for 10 minutes and, uh, you know, they come back and I'll, and they're like, well, uh, you know, she's going to have to be picked up a half an hour early. We have a family event. And I'm like, oh, well, I can just bring her back a half hour early. And they're like, no, it's on the way. It'll just be easier. And didn't really think twice about it. And, you know, we're out there and I'm helping her in the car. And her dad's more interested in taking pictures of our vehicle on the license plate, my cousin, than, wow. than he is us. But so come to find out, you know, we go to the dance. We have a good time. They come and pick her up a half an hour early. And then I ended up dating this girl all through high school and her family was incredible. You know, they were the second family to me and they're one of the families that gave me that contrast of what a great family looks like. But eventually they told me, they're like, Nelson, you know, we know, we knew who you were. We knew what family you came with. We weren't going to let, you know, uh, our daughter go with you. Uh, but you know, she insisted. And then when you told us about, uh, you know, your cousin driving you, we, we absolutely weren't. So we, we made it up uh, uh, to come pick her up so that uh, we, you know, they followed us to the dance after we left her dad got out and followed us to the dance to make sure we took her there and didn't pull off the road and rape her. And then they uh, scheduled to come pick her up because they didn't trust us to bring her home. But those were the, those were some of the things that, you know, we had to deal with because of, what my grandfather had done in that town. And, you know, it it was a struggle and, and, but uh, you know, we we made it through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what were the high school years like? Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I talk about this in my book, but you know, I, I kind of got into sports and to kind of release that anger that was inside of me and, and, and was a pretty good athlete but I remember, you know, trying out for quarterback and, uh, you know, thinking to myself, you know, 
I was by far the best person. And all of a sudden, you know, it gets to the point where the coaches set you down and tell you why, you know, why you shouldn't be a, a quarterback, you should be this and that. And, you know, in our small little town, you know, it was kind of that your dad had to be somebody in order to be the quarterback of the team. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I did that. And my grandfather went to prison when he was 48 years old. And, and again, I talk a lot more about this in my book, the unlucky sperm club, but uh, I had a quarterback's jerseys number originally because that's what I wanted to play. Yep. And eventually, you know, they talked me out of going after quarterback and going to running back. And, you know, they say, well, go trade in that quarterback number for a, another number. And I get, I get in there and, you know, right there on the card table, you know, almost with the, a light on it is the number 48. And oh, wow. I knew why I was in there trading in that number. It wasn't because I wasn't good enough. And uh, it was because of who I was and what I represented. And, mm. you know, I've worn 48 since junior high and wore it all the way through college, was able to go play college football and, and uh, wore it all through there. And, and now my sons wear it. And, you know, I see that number just to remind me that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what your last name is, you know, it matters what you do and, and what's inside of you. And I teach that lesson to my boys now. Dude, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So this made you angry. Yeah. I mean, originally when I was young, uh, I was definitely angry and, uh, you know, got in a lot of fights in elementary and middle school. You know, I had a huge chip on my shoulder. You know, I remember another story I tell in my book, but my gram had gone around to the yard sales in uh in our small little town and she knew i loved football and she found this jersey and bought it for me and i wore it to school and i'm you know we always played football at school and all of a sudden the kids start pointing and laughing and and i'm like what what are you laughing at and eventually yeah. and they're like why do you have on you know brian's jersey and i'm like what do you mean brian's jersey you know it was a philadelphia eagle jersey with a seven on it and, but it had the last name Larimer on it. And, and I thought that was the player's name and it ended up that it was a kid in my town's Jersey. Wow. Who they sold it at a yard sale and now I was wearing it and people were making fun of me. And, you know, so going through things like that, I was just, you know, and, and we were dirt poor, so we didn't dress well. Anyhow, hygiene probably wasn't great. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in special ed. I can't read. I can't write. So I have all these things that are, you know, against me. And so I had a huge chip on my shoulder. And, you know, because of that, I was, I was angry and I always felt inferior. And because of that, anytime anybody would, uh, you know, make fun of me or, or do something, you know, my first reaction was, to uh, fight. And I got in my share of fights uh, all through school, you know, up, up through high school. Yeah. And, and you know, look, uh, obviously we're not condoning fighting and acting out from anger here, but at the same time, I can, first of all, I can relate. I mean, I, I know you, you said you listened to my, uh, my podcast interview when I was telling my story and, you know, I've been, I've dealt with anger my entire life. Right. And, you know, but at, at the same time, again, I don't blame you. I mean, you grew up in a, you grew up in a, a 
uh, with a lot of dysfunctional stuff happening in your family, you know, no, to, to use your phrase, dirt poor, right. And not a lot of money. And, and, you know, every couple of months, your electricity bill is your, your electricity is getting cut off because they're not being, you know, the bill's not being paid. Like it's, it's a rough time growing up. So I don't blame you at all. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's just kind of, it, it was all, it was also modeled to, to me. I mean, yeah, uh, right. you know, some of my uncles were 35, 40 years old and, you know, coming home and telling us about the the bar fights that they were in. So yeah. that was just kind of what you thought was supposed to happen. If somebody dis, disrespected you, you were going to show them, you know, you were going to make them pay uh, with a beatdown. Yeah. Yeah. So when do you think this transition happened when you went from, you know, being the angry kid to like, I got to get my shit together and focus on my A game and and start living the life that I want to live? Yeah. So one day, you know, I'm living with my gram at this time. And I think it was around seventh grade, a counselor came from Penn State University uh, which was like five miles away from us. Okay. And they gave an assembly on um, what it was going to take to get into college, you know, what you needed to do to get into college. And that's when I kind of started thinking, you know, that, that's when I was reflecting upon my life and really looking at what direction I was going. And I I had had enough contrast by by then to know I wasn't heading where I wanted to eventually end up. And so I thought, you know what, if I could get a college degree, all of my problems would be solved. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as you tell yourself, Hey, I want to do something and it's tough. That voice in the back of your head starts screaming at you all the reasons you shouldn't even try it. Oh, you and have, I remember so you thinking that same little voice then that I, have. yeah, I, I think, I think most of us do. <laughs> and, you know, I remember thinking to myself, Nelson, you're in special ed. You can't read, you can't write, you can't spell of the family of my Graham's family of those 15 children, only two had ever graduated from uh, high school. None had wow. even attended a college. So I start thinking, geez, Nelson, you'll be lucky to graduate from high school, let alone even go to college. But I had I had nothing better to do. I mean, you know, this was my one shot. And at the time, I thought if I could graduate, you know, all my problems would be solved for the rest of my life. So I started to go after it started to do the things that I thought would get me there. And, you know, eventually, it took me, you know, 12 years, it took me four different universities, it took me joining the Air Force for four years to get money to finish up school. But eventually, I became that first person in my family to graduate from college and get a college degree. Dude, congratulations. That's big stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So you had, you had Graham, you had a counselor come and, you know, tell you what it's going to take to get into college. Who else were those role models or support structures in your life coming up from that, from that time in seventh grade through the end of high school? Yeah. So I, like I said, I was in the big brother, big sister program. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Chuck and Mary die account, uh, were huge in my life. You know, uh, I saw, you know, Chuck was a college student, had joined the uh, the Navy on the GI Bill, uh, you know, got a business degree. And I just saw his life and and just, you know, they they really gave me that positive influence uh, when I needed it. And then, you know, that girlfriend, you know, her family was was 
instrumental in my life and, and showing me a, a different route and, and yeah. showing me, you know, the type of family that I wanted to have someday in my life. Um, and then, you know, I had a, some good football coaches that kind of mentored me and good friends, you know, in, in high school. So yeah, there, I mean, there's always these people who influence you on various levels all the time. And that was, that was certainly, you know, my, my experiences, there are so many little things that, that I saw and, and, and because of that, you know, I made different choices than maybe I would have. Yeah. Was it ever difficult for you to listen to what they had to, you know, tell you advice and things like that? Or did you, were you just so laser focused on creating a different life for yourself that you just leaned into everything they said? What was that like? No, you know what? I made that goal in seventh grade, but it, you know, I, I didn't turn into this A student and, you know, hunkering down at the library every night and doing that. Absolutely not. I mean, I had that goal. I wanted to do that. And I was trying a lot harder than I was, but, you know, I was still, you know, making choices that probably weren't great in high school. And so, no, I mean, it, it was not, you know, that switch and everything I was doing was perfect. And I was still a young teenager who was seeing a lot of, uh, you know, stuff going on and, you know, uh, drinking on the weekends and, and doing all the things that, that, you know, associated with, with that, it it was definitely not uh, a switch. And then one day I was, you know, uh, making all the right choices. I made huge mistakes, but I think what it was, was it was, it was that gradual process of becoming a better version of myself than I was in seventh grade. And, you know, I was a little bit better in eighth and so forth and throughout high school and, you know, and then making it into the military mm-hmm. and geez, you know, you go into the military and they'll definitely help you become a better version of yourself. <laughs> Uh, so I learned so much, you know, in the air force and what it meant to be a man and to be a responsible person and, you know, to, to people to rely on you. So it was all those little steps. And I think, I think that's a great lesson, uh, for the listeners is it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, and I think we live in that culture and in that, in that a lot of people have that mindset that they want to get rich quick. They want things to be fixed yesterday that, you know, they want to become this perfect version of themselves overnight. And that's not the way life works, nor is it supposed to. I mean, uh, you can definitely, uh, you can make that one decision that will change the direction of your life. And I think that's what I did uh, by wanting to go to college, but you have to continue to make different choices. You, You can change the the direction with one choice, but you're not necessarily going to change your life with one choice. That's so well said, Nelson. And a couple of things that I hear in that is you've got to make that one choice. It's imperative that you make that one choice that things are going to be different. I'm going to commit to things being different, which means I'm going to have to act different. I'm going to have to be different. I'm probably going to have to, you know, let different people uh, give me advice. I'm going to have to listen to people differently, things like that, but that it is a progression and it's a journey and it's really a lifelong journey. Oh yeah. And, and you know what, 
we have to start where we're at, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the only place we can start. And it, it all starts with one uh, choice. I mean, you know, the, everyone's heard the quote, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And yes. we have to make that step and we have to make it where we're at. And as you continue to do that, what what it is is you know, and 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 you mentioned that it is a it, it's a journey. It never ends. I mean, success is not an event; it's a journey. And yeah. I think too many people think that it's an event. When I do this, you know, and that's the mindset I had. Man, if I just graduate from college, my life is set. And boy, oh boy, was I was I wrong. And yeah. um, you know, it was a great first step, but. I had to continue to make those steps. And when you're designing this life that you want, and we all have that ability to design the life that we want, I'm a true believer in you are where you are because you choose to be there. And I know that's probably not a popular thing. And there's, and there's some circumstances out there, but for the most part, you are where you choose to be. And if you don't want to be there anymore, start making some different choices, start choosing to be somewhere else. And it's, it's not an overnight process because where you are was not an overnight process. It's, it's a gradual, uh, methodical step-by-step-by-step process. And eventually when you make enough choices that in the direction that you want to go, you'll eventually end up there if you don't quit. And so I, I truly believe that too, is if you have enough time, enough effort and enough focus, there is nothing in this world that you can't accomplish. Yeah, brilliant, man. And I think it makes a lot of sense to just point back that we just heard this from Nelson, who just told us that he was, uh, he was, his mother was pregnant with him at 15 because she was raped by a police officer and that his grandfather killed this cop and lived then then Nelson you lived your whole entire life coming up with that kind of hanging over your head in this small town being reminded of that over and over and over again grew up being really poor not having you know food sometimes not having the lights on sometimes not having the cool clothes to wear to school and everything so that you just said what you just said is is absolutely extraordinary it's a miracle even i would say you know yeah and and you know what as far as with my grandfather and my mom's story in my book the unlucky sperm club there are a lot of twists and turns around those circumstances yeah. so uh you know please read that and and you'll kind of see that but i i truly believe that and you know what i've had a life i've had you know 48 years to prove it yeah. and you know i set a goal to kind of be where i'm at at the age of 48 because my grandfather was 48 years right. old and right. you know you set that goal and you put that out there and and you start working towards it and you know what the great thing that i love about goals is goals are generational they they're not just for the person who sets them they're for their family and the generations to follow and and as i'm sitting here talking to you at the age of 48 you know my grandfather was behind bars for murdering a police officer. And my mom, you know, when she was 18 years old, she had a three-year-old and, and uh, you know, no job and, and struggling. And, you know, because of the, some of the choices I made, you know, I have a son who's, you know, 18 years old, has a, a division one scholarship to play baseball. You know, it, 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 
that goal, that goal didn't just affect me. It, it affected my children. And guess what? It will affect their children. And that's why I love goals and personal development so much is because not only is it changing my life, it's changing everybody around me's life as well. And that's our motto at, uh, you know, I got smarter, which is our program is we want to change the world one person and one inspiring goal at a time by changing their world. Yeah. So brilliant, man. I, I love it. I, you know, for everybody listening here, this change is really one decision away, you know, to the, what we've been talking about in the past few minutes here, it, it, it all comes down to that one decision. Yes. It's going to be a journey. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable, but you got to think about what's at stake. Like Nelson just said about all of the other people who are impacted by the thoughts we have and the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. It's a, it's a generational thing. So thanks for that, Nelson. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't put, I don't let fear have much control in my life. I, you know, I know fear only exists in our mind, but the one thing that scares me to death is if I wouldn't have moved forward with that first big goal of becoming, you know, the first person in my family to graduate college, if I wouldn't have done that, I would have forfeited this life that I'm living now, you know, 30 years later. And, um, it scares me to death. And that, you know, that's another thing I want all your listeners to really realize is 10, 20, 30 years is going to come and go. And, uh, the life that you're going to be living, you know, at the, in 20 years, in 30 years, in 10 years or five years is in direct correlation to the choices that you're making today. I'm living the life I'm living today because of decisions I made 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago. Brilliant. So you've, you've talked about your book a little bit and, and I got smarter, the program. I'd love to hear you. You've had a, you've had a pretty remarkable career, you know, and I, I I think it makes sense to hear you share a little bit about some of your uh, business adventures after you, you know, got out of the military and college a little bit, especially in light of the story about your uh, upbringing. Yeah. Well, out of college, uh, I went into commercial real estate uh, and was in that career for, for 20 years. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to become the top salesman in the retail division worldwide for a top five commercial real estate firm, you know, closing more than a billion dollars worth of deals. I was also, you know, I started more than 10 businesses, uh, including one of the largest privately held pet resort chains in the country and uh, started a chain of children's daycare centers in in the Las Vegas area. I've started a couple of uh, trampoline parks, family fun centers. Uh, and, and yeah, now I'm working on, uh, I got smarter, which is a goal fulfillment app. And, and you can imagine why I want to help other people achieve their goals. I know what a difference it is. And I've really lived this life. And I think there's a lot of programs out there that people, uh, kind of know the theory of, uh, the, the program in, I got smarter is what I've used every day of my life for the last 20 years where I've made mistakes, where I've succeeded, where I've helped other people. And I built that all into this program and and put it into an app so that it's easy 
easy to use. And, you know, I've priced it to where anybody who wants to change their life can do it. It's $10 a month for the app. And, uh, you know, cause I really do, I, I want to change the world one person and one goal at a time. And I know one person can change the world and, you know, and, and you do that by changing your own world. And I was fortunate enough to do that in my life and, and change my world uh, through goals and personal development. And I want to give that opportunity to anybody else that wants to do it for their lives. Nice, man. I love it. I love it. What did you learn from coming up in the way that you did and the, all of the experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly? in yeah like in coming up that helps you today you know how did how does it how does it help you become a better leader how did you how did you get to the place where goal setting and personal development was so important to you well I, like i you know after i graduated from college and realized holy cow here here i sit you know coming from where i came from having dyslexia um yeah. not being able to read or write or spell. And somehow, some way I was able to graduate college. What else could I do with goals and personal development? Because I kind of did that without even knowing what a real goal was. I just wanted to do it. Yeah. And after that, after that, I became obsessed with it and used it in every area of my life. And, uh, you know, and I know what, I know what, not being successful looks like in spades, you know, it sucks and it's a hard life. And, you know, it's hard to be productive when you're worrying about surviving. And, you know, so I, I think that's one of the things, and, and I know, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who've never really had to worry about the lights being turned on or, you know, never feared when you open up the refrigerator and there is no food in there. I mean, none, you know, a couple of, uh, a, a bottle of ketchup, some relish and, and, uh, a little bit of mayo. Um, you know, when you have those experiences in your life, uh, you never forget that kind of hunger. And that was one thing that I never wanted my family to go through. And I knew it was possible because I had lived it. And, uh, you know what, uh, where we are is, is the choices that we make. And the only difference between, you know, the guy on the street holding a sign and, and the billionaire climbing in his jet to head off to a vacation is choices. And I don't want it to sound, you know, simplistic, but it is choices. I mean, we all have 24 hours in a day. Uh, that is the great equalizer. And what we do with those 24 hours will determine what type of life we're going to live. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I would imagine that these are some of the lessons that you aim to teach your kids too. Yeah. I mean, my kids, uh, every opportunity I get to, uh, to teach them something. And, and I tried to, uh, I tried to gear it back. Uh, I didn't want to be one of those dads that was just always grinding on them. And, you know, fortunately my, my kids, you know, they, uh, they, they didn't need a ton of pushing. I mean, they're, they want to achieve. And, and like I said, you know, I, I've got one son, you know, he's 23 years old. He was born with a learning disability, but, you know, uh, just, with him, I mean, I saw him stick it out. He went and uh, served a, a year on a ranch uh, free 
to go out there and uh, produce meat for people in need. And it was a hard thing for him, but he stuck it out. And, you know, I have another son who, like I said, he, uh, he got a division one scholarship to go play baseball. And he put that scholarship on hold to go serve a two-year mission for his church. And, mm. you know, I, and my 15 year old, you know, is straight A's and it, it, it just amazes me to see what these boys can do. Um, you know, and want to do it for themselves. It's not like dad has a thumb on them. Uh, me, I think me and my wife really, we kind of put the options out there. Right. We kind of told them about some of the circumstances and, and the, and the consequences that were out there on what, depending what choices, but they, they understand that their life is what their choices are going to be. And, you know, we've kind of taught them that long-term perspective is, Hey, you can, uh, you can take that instant gratification right now, but if you do that too often, uh, you're going to be sacrificing the life that you want to live a year, five years, 10 years from now. And, and they bought into that. And I think they're really reaping the rewards of, uh, of their choices now. Yeah. And and so how, how does it feel for you raising your kids and the way that you're doing and compared to how you came up. That's why I'm doing this uh, program. I got smarter because I see what a huge difference it, it can make not only in the person's life, but the, the family that follows and, yeah. you know, and, and hopefully the family that follows after that. I mean, it's going to be, I, you know, I saw this cool thing on YouTube. They take this, book of matches and, you know, they light it across and they all light and then they remove one of them and only, you know, the four or five first ones light and that, and that bottom one doesn't and neither do the rest. And that really struck home for me because, you know, I feel like I was kind of that match that stopped the, the chain of, you know, uh, living, living those hard lives. And uh, I'm just so excited for, what my boys are going to do. And, and I, that, that's kind of my legacy. And I always tell them that is, you know what, whether or not I I've lived a successful life depends on what you three are going to do, you know, with yourselves and with your family. So that's, that's my legacy. That's my biggest goal in life. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm striving for them to live exceptional lives. Yeah. Nice. Nice. What of the sort of demons, let's just call them demons that you had to deal with coming up. Do you still have to deal with today? You know, we talked about, we talked about anger when you were younger and, you know, I, I, the, the survival aspect of all of this, right? Like you, you said, it's hard to, it's hard to think clearly when you're thinking about survival, right? So you were in this kind of survival mode and you learn habits not you, but human beings learn habits by living life for that way for, for so long. And, you know, if those things aren't addressed and, uh, you know, worked through and, and new habits created to replace those habits, then they, then they stick around. So I'm wondering, you know, what, what are you still having to deal with now or what was the process to get you to, you know, reinvent those habits? Yeah. I mean, uh one thing was it like in my early, early in my marriage, uh, and, and, and I write about this in my book, but early in my marriage, you know, I wanted to 
you know, take over the world as far as like with commercial real estate. And I worked so hard and, you know, I had some success there and was making, you know, more money than I ever thought possible. And because I was doing my share, you know, I wanted my wife to be doing her part because I had this family that was something that I didn't want to do. You know, I had my visions of that Stepford wife, you know, meeting me at the door in her apron and having these three well manicured boys sitting at a table with a seven course meal and, you know, everything being perfect, because that's kind of what I was envisioning. And that was really my only, uh, you know, way to to gauge it you know, and I'd get home and all, you know, my wife would, you know, the house would be a wreck, you know, you can imagine with three active young boys and, you know, dinner wouldn't be ready. And, you know, I would, I would be furious with her because here in my mind, I'm holding up my end of the bargain. You know, there's money in the bank account. We're living in a nice home. You're driving a nice car. You don't have to work. And then here you are, you know, you're look at the, look at the kids aren't doing this and that this isn't right. And we had a rough, rough go of it because of that. And one day, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. You know, we've, we've been separated a couple of times to this point, you know, divorce is thrown around. And one day I heard something and I can't even remember who said it, but they said, you know what, you need to replace your expectations with appreciation. And that hit me so hard because everyone loved my wife, except me, you know, at this stage in my life, everyone thought she was the best. And I'm like, what are, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? Because, you know, she doesn't do this perfect and she does, but I took that to heart and I really started to look for the things that I could really appreciate in her. And there were so many, I mean, she's incredible. And as soon as I switched my expectations for my appreciations, our marriage has flourished since, and we've turned into, you know, best friends again and, uh, you know, enjoy being around each other. And it's just been a totally different thing from that one concept. Wow. Did, did you guys have to do any like therapeutic work or counseling or anything like that? Or was it? Yeah. We went to counseling a few times. Like I said, I moved out a couple of times and, uh, you know, but, but that was another one of my goals was I wanted to be married to my wife for 50 years. I wanted to celebrate a 50 year wedding anniversary. And so I wasn't willing to give in. And, and fortunately for me, she wasn't willing to give up and we eventually made it through, even though for, you know, a a few times there, it was touch and go, and it could have easily, you know, ended in divorce, but because we both wanted it and man, I'm so happy. As I said here, like I said, last week, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, we wouldn't have done that if we didn't really have that goal and, and be on the same page as of of wanting this. And again, you know, that happened 10, 10 or 12 years ago. And again, if we didn't do it, I mean, what would we forfeited if we didn't? So yeah, totally uh, been a huge blessing. Uh, so you're halfway there, 25. Yeah. Nice, yep. man. I, I just have to fool her into spending another 25 years with me. <laughs> uh, well, you seem like you're on the way there. So that's cool. And, yeah, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate your willingness to share that part of it, Nelson, because, you know, look, um, 
you have clearly learned some really powerful lessons along the way. You've learned some really powerful mottos, uh, you know, some things that people said to you that really stuck with you and you made different choices and, and took different action because of those things. But I, I thought it would be really cool to have you talk about that because, um, you know, this, what happened with your wife and some of the things that you're still having to work through nowadays, because again, it's, it just takes work. You know, it doesn't, it's not, we don't just make one decision and then everything just changes like we were talking about a few minutes ago. So I I just appreciate your willingness to share that, that it's, you know, it's going to take a, it's going to take work and it's going to take trial and error and it's going to take, um, uh, experimentation. Yeah. Well, and, and one of my favorite quotes is, is it's quickly after becoming a dreamer, you have to become a worker. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that have these huge dreams, but you know, you, you should never be, you should never dream bigger than what you're willing to work. And, yeah. you know, it, it has been a lot of work and I love uh, reading biographies and watching, you know, all these, all these biographies on TV. And what you realize is a lot of these people who are, have become uber successful and whatever, there were also those times where they were one choice away from, you know, failing completely. And I think all of our lives are like that. I mean, we're, we're a few choices away from failing completely, but we're also a few choices away from, you know, being more successful than we could ever imagine. And, you know, part of our program, I got smarter helps people see their goals through to the end and realize that we're not out there for perfection. I mean, we're out there for progress. And I think that's another hurdle for people is if they're not perfect on achieving their goals, or if things aren't perfect, they throw their hands up and give up. That's not the way life's supposed to be. I mean, it, it, we're, we're out here plugging along. We're going to have setbacks. We're going to fall off the wagon. We're going to do whatever. But as long as we get back up, and have at it again, and we're a little bit further along, eventually you're going to get there. The only way that you're ever going to fail at anything is if you quit. And if in, in our program, I got smarter, we've kind of put in all those little patches and strategies and philosophies and, and things to almost make it impossible for you to quit. Uh, and it, it's making a huge difference in people's lives. Dude, that's so that's so awesome. I can't believe you said it exactly the way that you did because that's what I was thinking in my mind. I say that to clients all the time and and I was I was thinking, "Oh, I'm going to put this in if Nelson doesn't say it and then you said it." The only well, great way great minds fail. think alike. Yeah, man. Yeah, the only way you can fail is if you quit. Beautifully said. Yeah. Um All right, great. Well, um in wrapping up here, oh, no, uh, one more question. One more question. I have yeah. to know. Do you have a favorite biography or favorite couple of biographies that you've read? I love biographies. So, I mean, there's so many. I mean, Ben Franklin's biography is incredible. I mean, I love that. You know, I just watched a series on, I don't know if it was the History Channel or whatever, but it was, I mean, it had uh, Rockefeller and Edison and uh, Ford and all of those. And man, I, I binge watched those cause they were all on. Uh, so I loved all those. I, I love, I love those, those type of, uh, of stories. You know, I like, I like the, um, 
the social media guys. I've, I've read their stuff. Um, anybody that I can get anything out of, but you know what I love? I love reading those and realizing that they had struggles, that it wasn't, you know, all rainbows and jelly beans for them, because then when things get hard for me, I mean, and, and I've been through this, you know, 10, 15 different times and starting different businesses. Fortunately, I realized that it's not going to be all rainbows. But when you read it about these guys that have done huge things that have changed the world, and you realize they went through the same struggles as you, when you have those bad days or bad months, uh, you realize, hey, I just have to get through this. And you can, you'll get through it. Just keep working at it and uh, realize that uh, in a year, you're going to be further along than you are now. And in five years, you'll be further along than you were then. So just keep at it. Brilliant. I love that. I love it. Thanks for that. So Nelson, in, in wrapping up here, if there was one message that you would leave with the audience, what would it be? Get started now. I mean, so many people want to wait until all the traffic lights are green. Everything is perfect before I start down this road. And uh, it almost never happens to where everything's perfect. So start where you're at and uh, start now. And if you do that, uh, you'll be further along than, than if you're going to wait until everything is perfect or until you, know, you, you feel like you have everything that you need. Because what we realized is we don't have a knowledge problem. We have an execution problem. We just need to do what we know we need to do when we need to do it. Brilliant. Well said. Well, Nelson, thank you so much again for being with us here today. Thanks for sharing about your book, The Unlucky Sperm Sperm Club, and also about your program, I Got Smarter. Uh, people should look up Nelson and tell, tell, tell them where to find you, Nelson. Yeah, you can find me at nelsontressler.com. Uh, the Unlucky Sperm Club is on Amazon and anywhere else books are sold. And I Got Smarter is available on, uh, you know, all the uh, apps, both Android and Apple. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you for being willing to share so vulnerably today about your story. Uh, this is stuff that nobody should ever had to go through, and yet you did, and you came out on the other side a better man for it and a very successful man for it with businesses and uh, a wife of 25 years and three amazing kids. I think that's that's awesome. And again, it takes a lot of courage for somebody to be willing to come and share. And the audience appreciates that, you know, the, the hope and the intention here is that people hear these stories and they allow it to make a difference for them and inspire them to go and have the courage to share and get the support they need, just like you did. So thanks again for being willing and for being here, Nelson. Thanks, Mick. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Awesome. All right, everybody. Again, this is Mick Carbo, your host, the Tragedy to Triumph podcast, and we'll see you next week. It's our hope that this story makes a difference for another person. If it helps one person, we believe we've done our work. Consider telling a friend about this podcast. You might just make a difference for them too. Accomplishment Coaching, the world's finest coaches training program. I owe much of the man I am today to the work I've done and the relationships I've built in this community. For anybody out there who wants to start a career as a coach or enhance their skills as a coach, look no further. Transform your life and set yourself up to win in your coaching business at the same time. Find out more at accomplishmentcoaching.com.